You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche and I'm joined by my podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. Say hi. Hi, folks. Today, we're talking about five-star employees. What are the characteristics that they have? What do you do to find them? And when you do, how in the world do you keep them? Great topic. To help us out with that topic today, we have Hinal Turner, expert in recruiting, hiring, and people management, and vice president of content and consulting at the All In Company. Hinal, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. I think it's a great topic. But before we jump in, a little question to get us warmed up and get our audience to know you just a little bit better. What's something about you that you're passionate about that those people that simply work with you may not know about you? I love traveling, but I love specifically going to Vegas and gambling. That is just so much fun for me. Pre-kids, I used to, me and my husband used to go, gosh, like six or seven times a year. And now that's over. (laughs) 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 But it's fun. All right, wait, wait. So this is not a commercial for Vegas. Favorite hotel? I really like the Cosmopolitan Hotel, but I do tend to stay at the M Life properties. And so we like New York, New York is a nice location. And the, they have now the MGM, again, their new, like the Nomad Hotel. So like, that's another fun one, but it's all about the location, walking to a casino. I love it. Yeah. Cosmo was my last time there and I loved it. I was just going to say, it's a definite mood, right, Vegas? Uh, it's a really good time. And there's something about walking across that big casino floor that just is like, I don't know, it's kind of like stepping back in time too. At least for me, it seems like, I don't know, it's such an old Hollywood, old kind of feel. Awesome. Well, that sounds great. So before we jump into our topic of the day, could you tell us a little bit about you and how you arrived to the, at this point in your career? Sure. So believe it or not, I did not dream as a little girl to be an HR person and, or an HR expert. <laughs> but what ended up happening is after college, I went to law school and I worked at a, a law firm and I did a couple internships with the public and worked in the private sector a little bit. And I decided I need something that's a little bit more human to human interaction. And so I started taking introduction courses in college and that got me into an introduction to human resources. And I just loved it. And so from there, I started more education in the human resources arena. And I worked at a, like my specialty really is small to mid-sized businesses. And so that's kind of where I started my career as an in-house HR person, HR manager. And then working from there after about six or seven years there, I went into work for Paychecks and that's where I did my HR consulting. So again, I worked with several, like over 200 businesses, probably with my career there and helped manage their HR for businesses around that same size who were looking to outsource their HR. Because as a small business owner, you don't know what you don't know, right? You're the expert in your business and you want to grow your business. You want to profitably scale your business. 
you can outsource some of the knowledge that HR experts like myself have and help you with. When someone says, hey, I found a white substance in the bathroom. Can I fire everybody? And I was like, no. (laughs) 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 Right, right. So very, very fun time there. And then what Kate had the opportunity with the all-in company to kind of zone in on recruiting, hiring, and retaining the best of the best, which is the five-star employees. And that got me to where we are today and talking with you fine people. That's amazing. What a journey. Sounds like you've done it all at this point. And uh, perfect segue into my next question. So we talk, you send us a few topics and talk a lot about the five-star employees. So very simply, what is the five-star employee? So the five-star employee has a couple, five, surprise, surprise, five distinct qualities, right? Five distinguishers. And the first one is your five-star employee shares the same core values with you as the business owner, right? So what's important to you is going to be important to that five-star employee, which is why they're unique to your organization. Second, uh, your five-star employee will score a seven out of, at least a seven out of 11 on 11 qualities of a five-star employee. Third is that they do have the skill set and the aptitudes that are necessary for the role that they're in. So very important, of course, that they have the skill set, which is that third star. And then when you're also talking about, are they achieving their goals? So five-star employees, they're given success metrics. So they understand what success looks like in the role and they're actually doing it, right? So if you're a salesperson and you need somebody to close a hundred sales in two weeks, they're actually closing those that and meeting that metrics for you. And then finally, they're bringing revenue into your organization. So they're producing at a three times return on the payroll that uh, they receive. Okay, great. So it sounds like, I've got kind of a two-part question here. So it sounds like you customize these five points depending on the role and the company. Is that correct? That's correct. Right. So like the first two areas is all about, right, getting that, the first two elements, the first two stars are really all about getting that, finding that employee who's in your right mindset. So if they have the same, the core values align with the business owners, and then they have the, they're in a mindset with the organization and in the terms of the 11 qualities of 11 universal qualities. And then from a skills and aptitude standpoint, they're also, you know, have those qualities so that they can do the role that they're expected to and do so successfully. Awesome. So you've mentioned the 11 qualities a few times. and I definitely want to ask you what they are, but I'm also curious, out of that 11, are there any qualities that can still be developed over time? Or like, and if so, what are some early signs of greatness? You mentioned like they're already achieving goals and things like that. But how can you tell like, okay, we've got, you said a seven out of 11 is where you aim to to land. If there's a few qualities that maybe aren't, I guess, like as strong, how can you tell that those things could be developed over time? Or will people invest in developing them over time? Yeah, I think we certainly have that some of those distinguishers. So like one of the 11 qualities is that somebody can listen, right? So somebody can actively listen and fully concentrate on the conversation. And that means they're not passively hearing, but they're actively listening to it and absorbing that information. So that is a one of the qualities that we have as a red quality, because that's a very, very difficult to change. So if someone is not an active listener, it's very unlikely that they can improve that skill 
throughout the course of employment or really throughout the course of their life. So that's a kind of a red quality, but something else about like communicating their thoughts or being proactive and supportive and collaborative, those areas are gray and communicate their thoughts as green because those are something that you could coach somebody to improve upon throughout the course of employment. They have to just get that seven, that magic number seven, more higher than average, right, in terms of how you assess them on the 11 qualities. And we actually have a quick test, like a quick four-minute test that we can share with you and your listeners to kind of make the self-assessment with um, their own team. Cool. Yeah, we definitely want to see that. That makes a lot of sense. So there's shades throughout your 11 qualities. You've got different shades Mm -hmm. and there are things that are, uh, this is kind of just me out of curiosity, the active listening. I totally agree with that. That's something that we don't see a lot of people really change. It can be developed, but it's something you really have to work on. But is there, what's another red quality? Like you don't have to list them all, but I'm curious what some other really red ones are. Limber. Hmm. So limber, meaning are you ready and able to change and are you adaptable to circumstances, maybe physically, no, not physically, and maybe (laughs) accommodating, are you adaptable? So your ability to sort of flex and be that chameleon in the workplace. So for instance, like some people, like say you're working with in an accounting firm and your customer client gives you data and information. So you start putting that into your system, you start crunching those numbers, and then the client says, oh, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong numbers. Those were two years old. So that means this probably two hours of work that you've done, you'll have to do it again. So is that going to make you cringe? Is that going to put you in a bad mood? Is that going to throw your day off? And maybe, maybe you need to be a little bit more limber. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I actually just had a client that went through and we work with a lot of clients that do this, territory shifts in the sales territories. So we shifted them around. Exactly. Sales. That is always (laughs) a bit of a mess. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, that's tough. (laughs) Yeah. And it's interesting that the limber quality, it comes out so clearly when you do something like that, because it's like, I worked this territory for however long and now I'm losing it. Like what? Other people are like, "Eh, all right, cool. Something new. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if it sounds like you're making excuses or your sounds like you're coming up with reasons for things to justify or to maybe you're not as limber as you think you are. And that's very difficult to change. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So I've got one more question before I kick it over to Carlos. Which is more important? And maybe this is an opinion or it could be your experience. The spark of talent or loads of experience? Which is more important? Experience or spark? I guess it it would depend on your organization and what you're looking for. Because a lot of what we find is that you having a a sweeping answer or like a standard or a template or whatever it is, it is like your sure way of finding kind of average people. So you really want to dissect that role specifically. So for some organizations, I think having more experience like is going to make more sense in a senior level position or if you're an accounting firm working with like very, very high-end clients. But in other organizations like or in certain positions, maybe in a sales organization, for example, you can bring in that experience may not be so necessary because you can train it. And it's so interesting now. I don't know if you guys saw there were there's a lot of airlines. I think there was one or two at least that started like a pilot school because they found that they're not finding the experienced 
folks. And so they said, okay, we're just going to focus on training and building our own applicant pool, right? So in that area, experience didn't matter at all because they were just going to train everybody. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, create the people you need then. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I just hope when I get on that flight, I don't get the pilots that says, hey, I just figured this out. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just learned this yesterday. (laughs) I wonder what that button does. All right. So I have successfully and unsuccessfully hired people all over the world in my roles. And I am not a good recruiter of talent, I tell myself. But help me out. So how do people find five-star employees? Is there some sort of recruiting strategy that you find works better in finding those perfect applicants? Yeah, there's two main things I I can think of. So one, as the business owner and the person who's at their recruiting talent, you need to be as specific as possible. So you need to be specific with what's important to you. You need to be specific about what you need in the role and you need to be specific about what success looks like. And by being this specific, you're attracting the right people. So you're not, you're attracting people who love the challenge, who will look at that information and say, oh, 40 sales every two weeks or 100 sales every two weeks, I can do this. Closing rate, I guess success rate or at 70% success rate, I can do this. This is going to be a great challenge. Um, So being, taking the time to really understand what it is you're looking for and putting that out there while you're recruiting, whether that be in your job posting or in a, I guess it would just be in your job posting or in like an advertisement for your company. My second thing is when you are recruiting, you have to cast a wide net. So five-star employees, they represent the top 15% of available talent. You need to have 21 applicants to yield three potential five-star employees. So you can't just do one thing, right? Posting one job ad on LinkedIn or one job ad on Indeed is not going to cut it because one, that's what everybody else is doing. And two, how is that really distinguishing yourself, right? So you want to get a little creative. You want to take the time to think outside of the box and understand where your successful talent came from and then try to duplicate this effort. So you need to cast a wide net and try to yield as many applicants as you can so you can find your five-star employees. Have you found lately that, I mean, I can't say how many times I hear organizations and I even have a company that I invest in where we've had a really hard time attracting any talent, even getting people to interview. And I hear that, for example, in my clients and the technology companies, I mean, just attracting people to interview, to come and even go through the process, there's just not enough of them. Have you found that to be a challenge for many of these days? I find that it is a challenge. So like people are posting a job and then they're not seeing the number of candidates that that they want, right? So where is that applicant pool? For one person I was helping, right? We looked at their job posting and their job posting title was just blah. Like it just said salesperson. And so I said, okay, well, let's work with you a little bit more and find something that somebody actually would find interesting. Right. So thinking about like what's going to entice somebody to really click on that to actually go ahead and apply. And again, it can't just be on Indeed. Like you have to think about your local, right? Maybe there's 
a community center you can go to. Maybe you need to spice up and have a hiring push and have a great referral program. Maybe you need to go and market yourself and your organization at the local universities and schools to just try to get people interested in your company and your organization. Got it. Now, and I'm with you because we did this a long time ago, company I was at, and really try to focus on, and this is kind of your first point, on really having an idea of what do you really want in an employee and then testing it. Because sometimes we want them to hang the moon and the stars and we want them to be six foot seven and full head of hair, whatever. the re- You got to go, hey, not anybody's going to fit this profile. <laughs> so what are the things that you really care about that really make someone successful in that role? I would guess some organizations don't even have a hard time even knowing what that is. Yeah. I mean, and some people don't know not only what they need in people, they're just saying, oh, I need a warm body. Anybody with a pulse, I just need to get somebody in here. And the challenge and what ends up happening there is you end up settling for somebody who is an average one, two or three star employee. And then in three, four months time, you've either, they, you know, end up leaving because they realize they don't want to put in the work that you need and you're going to start recruiting again or you have some amazing talent in your organization already and they get frustrated by this new kind of subpar employee and then that creates another problem for you because now you've pissed off your good people (laughs) then they might leave (laughs) right it's kind of that saying you're only as strong as your weakest link so The times I've been good enough to at least go, okay, let me make sure I understand what I'm looking for and what their tasks and I can be transparent about it. Then I get to the flip side of this. And this might get to your four-minute test, but sometimes I really struggle on what are the right questions to ask to get real authentic answers. Yes. Any points you can give us there? Yeah. And so that's one of the, again, like a huge question we get all the time. And that is one of the things we do help our clients with is we work on customizing these questions for you because what we've learned is that what is limber to you, for example, may not be limber to me, right? And so if, or supportive. So we've had people who say, you know what, supporting means helping each other and helping our customers and trying and anticipating their needs and supporting them. Where we've had others, someone else say, supportive means helping our clients and being there with them and available to them 24 hours a day. And so neither of those are wrong. It's just that you need to understand what it is you're looking for and build your questions based on that. So you can ask somebody, oh, when was the last time you went above and beyond for a customer, right? What is meaning? When is the end of your shift how do you know that your shift is over, right? So things like that. But again, that question is not useful to you unless based on your, it really just depends on what your definition is of the words supportive and proactive and other aptitudes outside the 11 qualities. Okay. So let's see, I can get to the point where I can truly understand the skills that I'm looking for and I can ask questions about it and I can truly understand the experience levels I'm looking for and I can ask about it. I think one of the key things that I cannot coach into someone is attitude, right? Their willingness, whether you call it being limber or their willingness to kind of roll up their sleeves and say, I have no idea how to do this, but I'm willing to try, ask questions and figure it out. And I struggle on what questions could I use around that to really kind of pull that out of someone. 
What is a attitude like? What's a bad attitude look like for you? Like, when was the last time someone gave you demonstrated a bad attitude? Last night. <laughs> no. <laughs> I had a good workshop last night, so it was awesome. <laughs> but I think about attitude is sometimes you get folks, for example, like when we do a workshop, they don't want to put the effort in. You know, right? They're distracted. They cannot prioritize what's important in front of them. Or if I think about someone we hire, it's like, hey, things did not are not going to go as planned. Customers are going to not act the way we want. How are you going to react to that? And are you going to be able to have an attitude of being willing to help them? Or are you going to have an attitude of complaining about things that are sometimes even out of your control, right? And it's that winning attitude. Like I used to love hiring folks that had military experience because the reality is I could throw them into bad situations. And the answer was, all right, I'll figure it out. Versus, all right, here's my 101 excuses why this doesn't work. I'm just looking for the one reason that I can help with to figure out how we can make it work, right? I know it's hard. So I don't know, it's a long answer, but I'm just, how do you test or drive the right attitudes within your business? And maybe it even goes back to your core values of someone that's going to be willing to go the extra mile. What do you think? So a couple of things. So one, I would, with, it sounds like you're equating attitude to someone really being not being as limber as you need them to. So specifically, I would be asking them to tell me about a time where things didn't go according to plan. How did you react? When was this? I would ask them, tell me about it, depending on like maybe the type of business it is. Maybe you're asking them about, tell me about a time where a client call interrupted you when you were working on a high priority task, right? And then it's letting that it's, asking the question, it's being silent and not, and being comfortable with the silence and letting them answer. And if they don't answer the question and they're, don't give them a hint, don't like give them a clue onto where the answer should go, just let them answer. And if they're not answering, they probably don't have a good one and they're not worth your time. But prior to getting to the interview, you really want to I really recommend using some kind of like skills testing and some kind of assessment so that you're only seeing the candidates who you know have some of these qualifications. So there's so many great assessments and things out there, tools that you can use to get a kind of behind the scenes, inside peek look at at people. And what you're doing is you're just setting a standard for the people you're going to spend your time with, right? Because you can't interview a hundred applicants, like, should you get that many, right? You can only, you want to spend your time focusing on the people who you know have some of these skills so you're not worrying about it, really. So on those assessment tests, and I've seen these in the past, I guess it assumes, well, it depends on the type of organization, but are there some that you recommend? Yeah, we use Preview HR. And so, yeah, if anyone wants some more information about it, we're, we can help you with that. But I like that one. I've also, because it's cool because it gives you like a general assessment and there's also a team's assessment. So you can see, so like if I'm a driver and somebody else is a forger, it gives you a clue onto how this person is going to join your team. And it also has really cool benchmarking capabilities. Again, so if you've got that top talent, you can have that person take the benchmark, take the assessment and then find people who are comparable. Okay. So I love your idea. Situational questions is one of my favorite things to do. In fact, I don't know if this is a good thing or a horrible thing, but I ask them about a situational question, listen to their answer, and then I go, okay, that's good. Give me another one. 
And I might do that three or four times. And I literally, I try to get to the point where they go, it's not a, a baked answer. Or let me think about this for a second. Uh-huh. And then they're really getting to a core answer. Now, again, maybe I'm doing HR abuse. That's why you having a legal background is probably good. <laughs> but that's what I try to, can I get to that core answer where it's not pre-baked? And I, that's what I try to use as situation questions. Is that okay? Is that legal? Yeah, I think that's fine. I think it works for me. I, I mean, I would also say like when you somebody gives you an answer, like I would rate them, right, from a one to five scale on that answer. And now you're starting to quantify if that answer was enough. And you can ask more about whatever their answer is. So they give you an answer. So you're like, oh, okay, well, how did you, and kind of dive deeper into that one question to get them talking about it more, I think that gives you a good, at least for me, it gives me a good assessment of their essentially their rating on that question. All right. So one more question before I throw this over to Lisa for a second here. We all talk about calling references. How much weight do you give on glowing references? Because I got to tell you, in all my years of calling a reference, no one ever said, oh my God, she sucks. <laughs> it's always, if you to put someone's name up, it's usually always positive. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a good question. I would usually insert, I would usually talk about the references in the interview process and talk to the candidate about, oh yeah, you know, we'll be calling your references and seeing how they respond to that. We call your all previous employers and it would be a red flag if someone didn't list any references or if something kind of looked off about the references. Like they, I had someone recently who listed a coworker as a reference. So to me, that was a a little bit of a red flag. Like, where's your manager? Where's your HR person? Like, this is weird, right? And then when you call somebody, it's really just to cross the T or dot the I. Yes, it should be something that you kind of do in your process, but I would say it's not as valuable as like their rating on your assessment, right? On your candidate scoring of the interview process. And like, you really shouldn't have gotten to the point of a reference without first evaluating sort of the more, to me, like to us, the more important criteria. Now, if someone tells you, oh yeah, I would never ever hire them back because <laughs> whatever, then okay, great. That you're, again, your process worked. You filtered out somebody who wasn't going to work for you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It was always something I wondered about too, because I only once in my career had got a reference call out of the blue, but like the person interviewing didn't give me a heads up and it would be someone I'd hire again, but what it is somebody was somebody who was a more difficult personality. Like the environment around them had to be pretty controlled. So limber would be not something I would really attribute to them. So I had to in that moment, kind of be like, I don't want to trash their chances, but I also don't want to have my neck on the line for someone who might not be a fit for this role. So it's interesting though, Carlos, you say like most of the time you get glowing references. That did only happen to me once. Most people, of course, are like, will you be a reference for me? But yeah, it can be tricky. So you never know when you're going to get to an interesting response. I have a quick question, just like a kind of off book here, because this is my whole career. I worked with sales development reps. So typically people coming in very early in their careers, come some right out of college potentially. So not a lot on the experience level. We were definitely looking to develop the cold calling skills, prospecting skills, those kinds of things. And I read an article a long time ago about this 
it was an influencer in the sales space saying something about how she does the 90-second interview. And it consists only of three questions. What do you know about me? What do you know about our company? And what do you know about the role? And if they don't answer those satisfactorily, then the interview's over. What do you think about a strategy like that? I, I mean, I think it's creative. I think it would be an interesting first step in terms of like, maybe it's your like preliminary interview. Like that's what it kind of sounds like to me. Like it would be everyone who applies maybe gets this 90 second interview because the questions are pretty, are they would yield some really interesting information. You'd get the person talking. And if all you need, to, if the only skill required for the job is maintaining a conversation and having doing some research ahead of time and, and utilizing those resources, that might work. Yeah, yeah. I liked it because the role itself requires a certain amount of genuine curiosity, right? If you're going to prospect and research all day long, you're going to find it really boring if you're not interested in like genuinely curious about the people you're prospecting to and the companies and what they're doing. So if they didn't do that type of research on a job where they're going to spend more time than they do with their family, that was an indication that that key core piece of being a good prospector was not there. But I like what you said about the skills assessment being the first step because that at least narrows your field and you're then you're not doing 500 90 second interviews so. <laughs> <laughs> right right yes. yeah 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 that's great okay shifting gears just a little bit here because i really want to touch on this before we wrap up retention so in your opinion and your experience how do you create an environment where the best employees those five star employees don't want to leave so first, it's going to start with other five-star employees. So when you have, you need to kind of look at your talent and look at the people in your organization and make sure you have a team of five-star employees because five-star employees want to work with other five-star employees. So they don't want to work or work in a place where they have to pick up the slack for other people, where they feel their team members don't listen, where they are not able to give honest feedback. So that's going to poison that that environment than the culture that you have. And when you have a team of five-star employees, then you can really start having fun. You can start connecting daily and you can start having things like one-on-ones and spend the time to listen to your employees and giving them the platform to share their ideas. Another like big thing that helps with your culture is helping your five-star employees form the relationships and form a community in the workplace, right? So I've got my home community and I've got, and what else do I have is I'm at home or I'm at work, right? And so right now it's all virtual, but I do have a work family and that's my work community and I love it, right? And that's what keeps me engaged. So a good question to ask people is, do you have a best friend at work? And people who say they have a best friend at work are much more likely to stay at work. So it's an indicative question about retention. So thinking about like, what kinds of things are you doing to foster and form these relationships at work? And that could be retreats. It could be team meetings. It could be virtual happy hours. It could be virtual lunches. It could be a number of things. And you need to be active in doing. So like organizations who really thrive with forming a culture that people want to work in, it doesn't just magically happen. It's a planned a planned kind of calendar, like similar to like the non-so-fun stuff, the fun stuff needs to be a focus as well. (laughs) It sounds like that would also go help with the biggest topic of the day, which was actually on CNBC this morning they were talking about this too. And that's like companies that are trying to get employees to come back to the office 
in some way or fashion. Because, hey, you said, hey, we have our work life and our home life. It seems like lately, for the last couple of years, I've had my home life and I've had my home life. <laughs> and I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, God forbid if I lived in New York and had to travel an hour and a half in and an hour and a half back or more. I need some people in the Bay Area that had to travel two hours to get home. And they were just across the Bay. So it sounds like it's part of this lifestyle balance. Part of it is kind of get it. And what I heard in your answer, and I mean, she gets right. Hey, look, if we can plan not only some work activities in the office where we're together and can build some of those bonds, we can also plan some fun activities that helps us build those bonds as well. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's so many cool tools now that you can use to ask questions and to get people to learn more about each other. So like we had a an activity where we, at the beginning of our meeting, we just asked every, we had everybody send me their song, like their favorite, like summer song or something like that. And we played it for like 20 seconds. And then people were just guessing whose song that was, right? Who's like summer anthem that that is. And just kind of fun, right? To guess that and find out about it. Just some bonding things that you can do. Awesome. I love that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> I like the uh, do it. <laughs> guess whose song this was? We could even do that on workshops, Carlos. Yeah, it might be a fun one. Mm-hmm. It's great to get to know their colleagues. So we'd love to talk about this all day long. And there's a million questions I can think of because this is so timely with shortages and everything else. And you've been such a fantastic guest to talk about these things. But we got to change direction a little bit for the sake of time. And there's two questions we ask every guest as we're wrapping up the show. And the first is that as an executive yourself, you get prospected to. Mm -hmm. You get reached out to all the time. So when it's someone who does not have a referral to you, no warm introduction, it's a cold outreach, what are some of the things that they could do to actually get you, maybe not inspire a response, but at least get your attention? For me specifically, it's make me laugh. So if it's like something that's If it makes me laugh, then I'll usually at least take another look, even if it doesn't make sense. If you can make me laugh, I'll probably pause and take a look. I love that. I love that. (laughs) That's a good one. I once wrote a thing. It's like, I'm sure you're tired of deleting my email messages. You probably could have called me in less time than it would have taken to delete all these. And then I go, but I get it. It's my job to find you. So I try to use that as a funny way in. All right. Last little, we call it acceleration insight. For business owners, hiring managers that are out there, what might be that one piece of advice you would give our listeners that would help them find and attract top five-star talent? I think that one of the biggest things I can say is to think outside the box and be different. You can't do what everybody else is doing. You have to try something different. Like Our company mascot is Albert Einstein because he famously said, that when you do the same thing over and over again and expect the same results, like that is the definition of insanity. So you've got to try something new, be different and attract those five-star candidates. Awesome. I love it. Perfect. Hino, thank you so much for joining us today. If a listener of ours was interested in talking more to you about this topic or anything that All In Company does, what is your preferred method for them to get in touch with you? Sure. So I would give them two resources. Like one, we'll we'll add my email to your show notes. And then two, if you want that four minute quick test, just go to fivestaremployees.com slash never settle. And that's the number five fivestaremployees.com never slash never settle and we'll give you that resource for you. I love it. I'm going to test it out myself for sure. So can't thank you enough for your time today. We know how valuable it is and uh, it's been great having you on the show. Thanks again. Thank you so much for having me. 
All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your friends, your family, your dogs, your cats, your kids. Get them off screens for a little while. Go for a walk. And if you like what you hear, if you're really enjoying these topics, please feel free to throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer, along with Carlos Noche. Until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.